Welcome back. There we go. What 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 was Nick doing with the microphones in here? All right. (laughs) It's behind the lens and we're live. And of course, we got some kind of mishap always. Uh, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line. Talk with the movers and shakers, the TV and filmmakers, especially now in this for your consideration award season. Uh, We've got producers, writers, directors, costumers, composers, film editors, uh, sound editors, mixers, uh, actors, you name it. And we talk to them. And very excited. And of course, if you're listening right now, you're listening on AdrenalineRadio.com. But we'll give a plug to to our our head man here uh nick loves to play with technology and of course has us doing a what is it pam a vimo or mevo or mevo Uh, he likes playing with toys so if you go to the adrenalineradio.com facebook page you can watch a mevo live stream uh of the show it's nothing exciting it's just me sitting in the booth uh but the cool tablescape Lots and lots and lots uh, for your consideration screeners rolling in. Um, And these are just some of the titles. And some of them are exceedingly good titles. And some of them I already know I will be casting critics votes for uh, in upcoming critics voting uh, for various things. So you can you can take a look if you can see which films are up there. Some of you may be able to figure out uh, if you know me, uh, you'll be able to figure out which ones I may actually be casting some votes for uh, when the uh, critic circles get around to voting. But hey, if you can't catch us live on Mondays here on AdrenalineRadio.com. You can always catch the archive of the show. It becomes a podcast later on tonight or tomorrow. Uh, as soon as I get around to it, the show gets uploaded to BehindTheLensOnline.net and gets sent out to all the little podcast places around the world. Uh, iTunes, Apple, uh, Stitcher, uh, Podbean. We're just all over the place. Just hunt us down for Behind the Lens. And you can find us. And with some of the great guests that we consistently have, um, a lot of filmmakers, especially first-time filmmakers, um, relatively new filmmakers, a lot of really cool information gets imparted by our directors uh, in particular. When they talk about their experiences of uh, how they got their film made, what their challenges were, working with the editing process, going through 500 hours of film to edit something down, finding through lines, casting. Uh, you know, it's you can learn from one another just by listening. It's so fantastic, and this is where the future filmmakers come from. Uh, this is where the next Hitchcock will come from. This is where the next Spielberg will come from. This is where the next Billy Wilder will come from. Will come from. It's these filmmakers today, and a lot of it starts with the indies. And you all know, after all these years, how much I love and appreciate indie films and indie filmmakers. And 
that makes me very happy uh, with so many of the indie films getting recognition uh, the past couple of years. And so many filmmakers we're seeing just rise up um, in the ranks very quickly because they are getting shots. They're putting forth really good effort. They're turning out really good content. And they're getting shots and they're getting elevated. And Netflix has become a really big hotbed uh, for quality filmmaking and quality television. Netflix has Blood of Zeus, one of my favorite, actually my favorite um, graphic, they're calling it anime. How about adult cartoon that's really cool, Um, sounds better. Blood of Zeus picked up not just for a second season already, but a third season. Uh, and you got to hear Charlie brothers Charlie and Vlaz Parapolides here on live on the show uh, a few weeks ago, the day before the series premiered on Netflix and already picked up for two additional seasons. And that shows the strength of you, the moviegoers, the your moviegoers in your house. You couch, couch surfers, uh, this shows your strength out there to get shows made, to get films made. And I'm very excited today with the guests that we have joining us at the midpoint of the show. Gene Pope started out as a director in commercials many, many decades ago, is an actor, uh, is now an actor. He uh, and his daughter, Roxy, Okay, we're going to start our seventh year in January of Behind the Lens. We've never had a father-daughter combination on the show until today. Uh, Gene and Roxy are going to join us at the midpoint of the show to talk about their new film, King of Knives. Uh, It is a crap-happy dark comedy. Uh, And I think it really kind of sums up the way a lot of us have been feeling all year. And in this holiday season, it's funny. There's heart. There's sad. There's sadness. And it's you talk about somebody having a midlife crisis. This is the whole family is having a midlife crisis. Uh, so I can't wait to talk to Gene and Roxy about King of Knives uh, at the midpoint of the show. But before then, you've heard me talk about it. You've seen me going crazy posting about it on social media. Uh the Last Champion, starring Cole Hauser, Yellowstone's Rip Wheeler. Um, the film is, it is an absolute must-see. It truly is. Uh, Cole, this is his film. Uh, and he just, he takes it by the reins and he runs with it. Uh, I, it's written by Glenn Withrow. Hallie Todd, and Ivy Withrow. Uh, Husband, wife, and daughter Ivy. This is a filmmaking family. We have kind of a family theme happening today on Behind the Lens. Uh, Hallie, you know her best as Joe Joe McGuire in the Lizzie McGuire series. Uh, Ivy, uh, her daughter, Ivy is, is a filmmaker. And Glenn, of course is an excellent director, former actor, 
And I think the acting really comes into play with the excellence of The Last Champion and the depth of character and the emotional beats and the emotional resonance. Uh, It is a stunning film. Yes, all you Yellowstone fans, you want to see the opening of the film because that is the Cole Hauser you know and love in full cowboy out on the range uh, and segues into a story of forgiveness, redemption, friendship, forgiving oneself and finding yourself. Uh, Cole stars as he's a former wrestler. He was the shining light in this tiny little town. Uh, An Olympic hopeful went on to the Olympics, but something untoward happened. And he has now come back home because his mother has passed. The character of John, as comes as no surprise with Cole, very introverted. You, the emotions are really worn through, told through his expressions, through his movement. That's something we have seen him master over the past years. And he is superb. Of course, he has to have a hometown nemesis. And that hometown nemesis is none other than Cole's friend of 30 years, Randall Battenkoff. Um, Randall and Cole started early in their careers in the film School Ties. And they have been friends ever since. So for Randall to be playing uh, the character Bobby Baker, John Wright's nemesis, high school nemesis, uh, and to be adults 25 years later in, within the context of the story and still can't let go of jealousy. Uh, it's really fun to watch. And to watch Randall go to depths and watch Cole go to depths is just stunning. Um, Randall's character of Bobby is a parent. His son is on the wrestling team, which both John and Bobby were on uh, in high school. And John is now stepping in as an interim coach. So for all you sports parents out there, you may have an idea of some of the things that may be happening in this film. Hallie Todd, in addition to co-writing this with Glenn and Ivy, is also in the film. uh, And she plays... Melinda Miller, the mother of the nice kid, the nice high school kid uh, with all the talent and the aspirations. So we've got two generations of of people, uh, you know, batting jealousies, uh, redemptiveness, uh, forgiveness. It's really an intricate, intricate character study. And it looks fabulous. The story is, is fabulous. It is for the whole family. Uh, everybody can take something away from this. But right now, what you're going to take away is being a friend. Randall was kind enough to talk to me uh, in this exclusive interview the other day about The Last Champion. So take a listen to what Randall Battenkoff has to say about The Last Champion and give us some tidbits on an upcoming, another film he's coming up in. Take a listen. Hello, hello. There she is. <laughs> there he is. How I'm, are you? I'm fine. How are you? 
everything's good considering Consid- the world we live in. Yes, considering. Hallie yeah. said to Hallie said to tell you hello. I just hung up with her. Oh, fantastic. Well, I tell you to tell her hello too, but no. um I don't know if that, how that would work, but it would- she's great. She's great. That whole family's amazing. I gotta say, you know, Glenn, uh, Ivy, Hallie, I mean the three of them really were the force behind the movie, so I mean, it just, and she uh, she thinks you are spectacular. Oh, well, she's a sweetheart. She's amazing in the movie, and she's a great lady. And uh, it's just a great, just watching the family function together like that, where they're all making the movie, like that's like the family affair. That's my favorite part of the whole operation. Well, and to listen to her talk, because the three of them are so intertwined. So, and because, you know, Hallie's also, you know, a co-producer, boots on the ground. So she knows what what Glenn's doing in terms of filming and going and pre-visiting the entire film and location and how they pick it and picked it and developing the background characters. Just every facet they're all involved in. And Uh, yeah, that's right attention to detail they're very detail oriented and we know how important that is yes and you are very you are also very detail oriented my friend Uh, I'm working on it (laughs) (laughs) I'm always working on it that's I think one of the most important things and you just you gotta gotta get into the 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 weeds to really get you know those little nuggets well you did it in 37 but then I saw the growth in you with even more attention with Inside Game because there's so, there was so much specificity in Inside Game that you really dug in as a director into the details and the minutia. Uh, thank you. I, I certainly tried to. And yeah. there's always more. You know, there's never... You can just keep going deeper and deeper on all these things. So, um, on this project... The Last Champion, I got to just focus on, on the acting, which was uh, a treat. As much as I loved directing, and, you know, it was great to just focus on the directing also uh, on Inside Game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, I got to say. I got to work with my buddy, yeah. Cole Hauser. And watching, and, I, just, I just told Hallie, I said, you know, watching... Because the two of you are friends, watching the two of you in this film, it's like the angel and the devil almost. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> With yeah. these characters. But it's the chemistry between the two of you is so strong. You feel that sense of that Bobby and John have known each other forever. And that there's yeah. something there. There's a rivalry. There's something. There's jealousy there may even be some hatred in there and there's even a little ambiguity in the way that glenn has cut this that at one point you're wondering was bobby involved in john's fall from grace Mm. interesting that's that immediately with one scene that immediately jumped into my mind it's definitely possible i mean John took Bobby's. You don't do his, that. Yeah, he took a spot in high school, and, and he has. I mean, this is a guy. My character really needs serious therapy. <laughs> That's the reality. <laughs> this is like multi generational, like disaster. Like this guy just hasn't figured his stuff out, 
and he has an opportunity, he has a rare opportunity to take out his frustrations on poor John. <laughs> and it's like, it's literally like the thing he's been waiting for his whole life, like to get back at this guy. And, you know, he's a, he's a wily, nasty, successful dude. Come on, he's a and banker. All over the place. He's a- all over this country. Look, I mean, Bobby Baker is a banker. What do you want from a banker? They're not nice I people. I know. <laughs> I know. I have some banker friends who are nice, but this guy is definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have some banker friends who are nice too, but they're few and far between. Yeah, right. Right on. You know, I'm curious for you, Randall, because of your expertise as a director as well, when you're acting particularly in this film when you're acting are you ever tempted to see something through your with your director's hat on even though you're not directing or can you just hone in on I'm actor Randall actor Randall actor Randall well you know when when things are going smoothly on the set and and the director's in control then I don't think about it I just do my job and that was the case here I mean Glenn was totally uh totally prepared and he was great he, he you know he was doing everything right as a director so I didn't feel any need to sort of put on the director hat uh, I would still obviously I'd check out the shots you know I'd just be watching uh-huh. I'm, I'm always curious about that but um, it's usually the director hat usually comes on when there are problems and I'm working on some independent film where the director doesn't really have much experience and, and, and is lost and then I just try to help out, and mm-hmm. then and then I'll, I'll jump in and offer some good advice without try, you know without stepping on toes. I'll just be like, hey, here's an idea. You know, I'll try to be gracious about it. But um, I, I, I on this on this you know in this um, film, I was able to focus just on the acting. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was you know it's a treat. Like at this point, it's really a treat, uh, and I love it. I really I gotta say I, I just I love that. Some of the days we were in the stands, where I think we did like two or three days where you're, you're in the stands and, and you're only on film and you never know when it's going to happen. You're on film maybe for four minutes mm-hmm. over the course of a 12-hour day and you're sitting in the crowd. It's, those days are tough. Um, but uh, doing those those scenes, those one-on-one scenes, uh, they're just so, so much fun, especially when you get to go, you know, go up with your, 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 your friend um, who you've known for 30 years. You know what I mean? So yeah. there is that, that history was there. It was fun playing the rivalry. We've, you know, we've been through a lot together. So I think all that d- did, uh, play. I didn't have to do much acting with that. <laughs> and, and I, um, I love those scenes with you and Cole going one-on-one. It, they are spectacular. They, that oh. is pure emotion and it is so real, Randall. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It was great. It was fun. It was, it was you know, pretty effortless. Like, we didn't, there's no pushing. And you, you, you can't really push with Cole. You got to be right there. I mean, he is like the ultimate, like, professional. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and I knew he would be. I knew he was coming with his A game. So I, I wanted to make sure I brought my A game. And um, it was great. It was just a blast. You know, I had the best time. You know, I'm curious, you know, how beneficial is it to you as an actor when you have a director and and writers like Glenn and Hallie who are also actors? 
Does that help you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of these, obviously, you have, I work with some amazing directors, like, you know, Robert Altman, mm-hmm. John Avildsen, and Tim Brooks, and these people are not uh, actors, and but they are actors, directors. I mean, they are just, they're, they're, it's all about the performance. Uh, but, but you do get that with, with um, actors, like, I mean, who haven't had that level of experience, and, and um there's a huge difference between someone who understands that process and the act of the space they need, you know, and we had all, we had all of that. I mean, it was all about the acting, you know, I mean, he had a shot, so he was, he was comfortable with, with the, the cinematic side of things, but at the end of the day, he's really focused on the performances and, uh, you know, you, you get the free, you get free reign to do what you need to do. And uh, it's appreciated too. I mean, he would come up and you know he'd give that note. He just said, "Man, I freaking whatever. I love it. I love just go, you know whatever you're doing. Just keep doing it, or, or go try to go deep. You know, he, he, it's, he's he's taking the ride with you. You know, I've, and you know, I've got to ask when you get a script like The Last Champion, does it show or did it show in this one? in the dialogue, in the construct of the script, was it written with actors in mind? I think you know what I'm, I think you know what I'm referring to. Um, As opposed to being something that's very clinical and very by the book, but can you tell that it's actually been written by people with acting knowledge for actors to make it quote-unquote actor-friendly? Hmm. Well, I think you either like the script or you don't. I mean, it, it was very good. I mean, there was ju- juicy part, so uh, the parts were uh, very appealing. You know, as an actor, you could really sort of really dig in. So it had all of those attributes. Not surprising that it was written by, you know, uh, actors, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but I don't, either scripts, scripts are great and they can be, you know, who I don't know what the requirements are to write a great script, but they're either they either work or they don't. And this one definitely did. Um, and I and I did know that Cole was playing the part. I found out when I went into audition. That's when I found out. He said, Oh by the way, Cole Hauser, I was like, Oh my God <laughs> And I think I said to, to Glenn, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he'll tell you uh, I got the part not by the not by the reading I did, but apparently I said something like, Oh God, I you know Bobby's just going to just annihilate John. He's going <laughs> to annihilate him. And I think it was the use of my um, the verb. <laughs> I went a little beyond destroy. <laughs> and realized I totally understood, like, Bobby's brain. <laughs> and I think that was, uh, that's what gave me the part. That's what it said. I said, oh, I figured, you know, he thought we did school ties together and the history there, that that would probably be a plus. He, he didn't realize, you know, he didn't totally, that was had nothing to do with it, he said. Oh my God! Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Using the word "annihilate" that 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 would give a director a de- a definite opinion as to the direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that was it. That's what sold him. And, it, and wow. I, I find that interesting. Just 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 that in and of itself is a, is a great lesson. That's like you, that you is. Know, you, yeah. Yeah, because I would think that 
as a director, as a producer, okay, because of the nature of these two characters of John and Bobby, the fact that you and Cole have this 30-year history, that would be a huge selling point. But for you to come in and use the word, I'm going to annihilate him, um, <laughs> yeah, that's... No, he's, yeah, he's like, you totally get it. I mean, that's, that's who Bobby is. Bobby wants to annihilate. He doesn't. He doesn't want to destroy. He wants to annihilate. <laughs> and that's and that's what I, you know, that's what I plan to do. Because I'm still, I'm haven't recovered from that wound, you know, 25 years earlier. I'm still right there. I'm that's, still pissed off. That's right. I'm very angry, and I'm going to get him back. And here's my shot. Finally, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. I've been waiting my whole life for him to walk through that door. It's like. Heaven. <laughs> I remember playing it. I was like, wow, oh, this is so great. He's coming in here. He's going to act cool. I just love it. He's just going to grovel in front of me. <laughs> and I'm just going to just gonna watch this. I'm going to watch this show. The big shot, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I and so when I read that, I mean, yeah, I totally, I guess, yeah, I totally get that, you know? I get that. I, they're like arch- archetypes, some of these <clears throat> Some of these characters are, are real archetypes, and, and this was uh, just a vintage classic rivalry. Uh, I, I think two pals that probably loved each other, and one guy just you know got all the glory, and the other guy didn't. Yeah. And now the now the tables are turned, you know. And um, so yeah, it was fun. Oh my god! Do you remember what you thought when you first read the script? Not just the script on the whole, but uh, but the character of Bobby Baker that made you say, "Oh God, yeah, I want this." Uh, well, I've played some pretty horrible people. Before. You have. You have. You ever seen the movie The Curve? I have. Like that movie. Like I love that part. I mean, I was so nasty in that, and I just had such a blast playing that. Um, so I kind of revisit that you know that character of Rand occasionally like through other parts <laughs> I get to just really just be a horrible person and for me I, you know I, I typically prefer to play the good guy than the bad guy but mm-hmm. there are just some bad guy parts that are just fantastic you know and typically they're more exciting and fun but you know no one really wants to die or <laughs> get crushed in the end which is what happens to the bad guy so um yeah, I, I just knew it was juicy and that I could I, I had a, a real take on it and could do something with it. And that's kind of what I'm looking for now. As I as I get a little older here, I'm trying to not just do parts that I can do, but a part that I feel like I can sort of register with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just leave a, a pretty strong impression. And, and so it's got to do it when I read it. I've got to I got to get that vibe that, OK, here's I know what I can do. I can do something with this that will. Uh, resonate, you know, with me and and with the with the audience. So now, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. Now, did you know that you'd be shooting in mountains of snow in Idaho? I know part of your scenes you got to shoot in Texas, Washington, I, yeah, well, in, oh, Texas and, and Washington, yeah, Washington yeah. State. But there wasn't there snow there when you were filming too. Oh yeah, a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah, that's always great. I mean, locations are the best. I love location shoots. I just there's so much fun. You just never know what to expect, and then you're in a whole other world with a whole new uh, bunch of people. And it's like going to summer camp in the mountains. It was great. You lucky dog. You get to go to the right heat now. of Texas, the heat of Texas, the snow in Washington. Yeah, exactly. And you get to yeah. be mean to your friend. Exactly. There you go. I mean, what's better than that? <laughs> you know, and they even gave you a paycheck. I know. Shocking. 
I mean, what what is going on in this world? I don't know. It's it's crazy. It really is. It's uh, gone to hell. Although the people in this movie are the people I, in this I movie. I love the people in this movie. That's like, the thing. That's why this movie I think is such a good movie. It's just so wholesome and you know I love the community and you know even though Bobby Baker's so nasty, the, the rest of the community is pretty. Is really good. Yeah. And that's yeah, what, good people, good honest people, and they are—they're out there. I mean, you just—they're not easy to find, but they are out there. I love Peter Onorati's character of Frank. Oh yeah, he's great. He—I am always so happy when I see him pop up in something. Yeah, he's great. It is—it's the wholesomeness of this whole community, this small town, yeah. the morals, the ethics, the yeah. support system. That's right, and that supporting cast is pretty spectacular too. I mean, every every single character right down the line is so authentic you know you're not seeing familiar faces but you're you're getting the real deal kind of a treat I'm curious about you working with Casey who plays Bobby's yeah. son Scott in this one did you guys get any kind of rehearsal time to build up any kind of rapport so that Bobby can like smack his son upside his head well we bonded actually I really he's a terrific young actor very committed you know, really soulful guy. And he's, he's got a lot going on, you know, behind the eyes. He's just, you know, he's, so the conflict and the trouble, it's all, it was all there. And, um, you know, whenever you play a part where you got to have, you know, whether it's a son, a wife, I mean, you got to build that relationship and usually you only have, you know, a couple of hours. But you got to kind of get in there and try to do it without being obvious about it. But, you know, we did. We connected and... We had a good relationship, and um, uh, it was the first time I think I ever had a, played a, a dad to, to someone that old. <laughs> oh my God, he's aging me. God, I, I thought I was that old. And all of a sudden, I'm now his dad. Okay, pretty soon I'll be his grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, can you tell me anything about this other project of yours, the the Angie story, the Lost Girl story on on trafficking? I'm really interested about that. Oh yeah. So uh, Julia Verdon, who's the director did a lot of research and she, she made a short movie about the subject and uh, there was tremendous interest in it and it's based on true stories that she learned from her uh, time she spent with, with real victims of uh, human trafficking. And uh, so she wrote this, this story, I think it's based on two stories that she, she heard and uh, it really sort of showcases the tactic. It actually shows you how it happens. And, um, she made the film and uh, a really powerful script. You know, serious. I mean, it's a very big problem we have mm -hmm. in this country and all over the world. Um, and so it really shows how how, it, how these guys, these 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 people traffic kids and how you know they're susceptible. And, and our kid is not particularly susceptible, but there's one. You know, she wants to sing, and you know, she's sort of spreading her wings as a teenager and so she is eagerly sort of seduced by this one guy you know and uh, before she knows it she's being traffic and um, so I guess it comes out uh, in a week or so or they're, they're doing um, a drive-in screening at the arena mm -hmm. um, next week and then I think no, maybe it comes out uh, mid-December mid I think everywhere digitally, but it's pretty, pretty, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, 
but the, the trailer looks great and the script was great and Julia's great and um, you know the cast is uh, solid and, and, and uh, Olivia was great and Jane uh, the girl who plays the lead um, she just won a few film festival awards as best actress and she was incredible so yeah, um, I think it's going to be a good one too to be honest with you it's just more of like a harrowing like you got to watch it as sort of a cautionary tale like, be careful like, this is how it goes down and this is what it can do to you so be very vigilant I'd like to see The Last Champion on the big screen oh actually you know what I did I'm sorry I did I did see it on the big screen again I'd like to see it again it's beautiful I, I gotta yeah. tell you that opening shot first we've got you know we've got the, the cattle herd and then we've got Cole out there by himself in the painted desert with that beautiful pink and purple and orange sunset and he's yeah. wearing his chaps and propped up it's like Rip Wheeler right out of Yellowstone yeah it, that's right I mean, his drunken scene might be, you know, definitely one of the best drunken scenes I've ever seen. Ah, that I is... Mean, you are drunk right there with him. Yes. I mean, that's incredible. I thought that was just like, I was blown away with that scene. From falling down in the snow to the pastor waking him up. Yeah. And he doesn't even... Right? He doesn't even know how he got in the house. No. I mean, that's unbelievable work right there. Uh, and watching his face and his movements, yeah, everybody has had one of those moments in their life. I don't care what they yeah. say; everybody's had one. <laughs> yeah, and I love that moment where Annika Mark says to him, "I know, I, I know him. I know, I remember that guy." Yeah. I love that moment. That's a great moment, isn't it? Oh, it's there are so many moments in this film, yeah. but yeah. I'm I'm really hoping that Cole's popularity through Yellowstone brings people to this film. Yeah, I hope so. I do indeed. I think that's. Uh, I think it's likely that they would come and gravitate towards it. Subject matter somewhat similar. And, yeah. Know, so. Slight, I mean, it's a slightly different audience, but it's uh, got some great, great messages, and it's, uh, it's a hell of a story. It really is. It's a it great is. Story. I, I hope people find this movie. It's uh, one of those few movies that change changes you. You know, can actually change the way you see the world. Well, my friend, I should let you go. It's always a treat. I always love talking to you. Love yeah, to likewise. Take care of yourself. Stay safe, okay? And that was Randall Battenkoff talking about The Last Champion, working with his friend Cole Hauser, and gave us a tidbit on his other film that's coming out uh, within the next 10 days, Lost Girls Angie Story. And now we're going to shift gears into another kind of dynamic and welcome. You can bring them live. Are they live, Pam? They're live. Jean and Roxy Pope are with us. Hi, guys. Hey, hey. Hi. I am so excited to have both of you on the show today. Um, very selfishly, because number one, I love the film, but number two, you're also the first father-daughter pairing I have ever spoken with together. Oh, exciting. That's... Yeah. <laughs> we still like each other even after doing this film. That's the most amazing thing out of everything. This film... <laughs> It is. It is a crap-happy film about a family in its own midlife crisis, and it is fabulous. 
Um, Jean, uh, well, we're very happy to hear that. Jean, you yeah, are you so incredible. I, I when you are when you are playing Frank, Father Frank, and he is stoned out of his mind and drunk and partying. Roxy, how in the world could you keep a straight face and not bust out laughing, seeing your own father in character as this uh, in, in the well, film? There were there were so many takes that we did have to take, um, <laughs> only because the first couple times it did take me by shock, right? Because uh, <laughs> watching him pretend to be high and drunk is just so funny. As you said, and it's and also as his daughter. Yeah, it was hard to keep a straight face. I did. I and you as a producer, Gene, weren't you concerned about all the extra takes because you were tormenting your daughter like this? <laughs> um, no, we never got to that point. We, uh, but, but at a certain point, the director John Delgado he uh, he said, "Okay, we got it. We're happy." <laughs> <laughs> Well, and well, he should be. Um, you know, where did the idea, because, Gene, you are one of the co-writers on this, where did the idea for King of Knives come from? It is, it's so original. We've seen midlife crises films. Like everybody, all classic film fans, Seven Year Itch, uh, we're all familiar with adages. But to see something as vibrant and vital and current as this, it's fresh, and it's a it's a new perspective for us. So I'm curious where this came from. Well, it's it definitely is an interesting story, as you might imagine. If you're going to do something like this, it, it helps to have gone through some of it yourself, mm-hmm. uh, so that you have a a knowledge base to write off of, and. Uh, basically what happened was uh, Lindsay Joy, uh, screenwriter, and, and I, we basically spent almost two years putting this together. And then the first year, we, we, she wanted to, as she told me, she wanted to understand more about her father. And uh, I was, so we would sit there for hours at a time, oftentimes closing out the restaurant we were in. We'd look around, and there's nobody left. And they're kind of looking at us like, are you going to leave? Uh, and, uh, and we would just, just thrash out ideas and put ideas on the table about what it was like to go through a midlife crisis, but also involving that with family. Mm-hmm. And I knew uh, by uh, partnering up with Lindsay Joy that she, because of her writing that I loved so much before this, she's just great with wry humor and great dialogue and kicking the chair out from right under the audience. Uh, and so after that first year, we had basically a movie, but the problem was that Frank was just a, a, a horrible person and nobody was going to like him at all or have any sympathy for his, what he's going through. And so we spent the next, I don't know, six months or so basically introducing more humor to it so that it was the kind of humor that even things that go crappy in life, um, you oftentimes will see moments that you go, wow, that, that was strange and funny at the same time. And, and that's how we did it. Well, I have to say, and I'm curious for you, Roxy, 
knowing that this part of this came out of your dad's fertile imagination, were you surprised or did you read this script and go, okay, yeah, I've seen him do this. Yeah, I've seen him do that. Yeah, <laughs> this is what the family's like. Um, did you did you see where he extrapolated anything from your own lives to bring into this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, does, did that make it easier for you uh, in, as an actor to bring this, the scenarios, the scenes, the character to life? Well, that's actually a really good question. Um, I think for me, you know, a lot of people uh, enjoy acting because it takes them away from having to be themselves for a moment. And, mm-hmm. like, for me, having to play close to my sleeves or close to who I was, a younger version of myself, was difficult. But it also gave beautiful moments where I could completely understand Caitlin. I could then completely interact. Like, it just allowed for great chemistry between my dad and I because we understood the characters. We understood these moments. We understood, like, the building of tension and the releasing of that tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for you also, Gene, you know, was this, you know, did you find yourself having to pull back as an actor? Were there some things that were hitting too close to home in your performance that found you questioning yourself? Well, um, not really. And, of course, the reason for that, you know, one thing that Roxy and I have shared is that we both went to two-year conservatories at different schools in New York uh, for acting. And so one of the things that um, is definitely in Meisner type actor training that you go through is is that you're not worried about whether it's too much or too little or what it's based on you know you are just you're just immersing yourself in in this character and so to really answer your question i would say that i i I never felt that it was difficult uh to do frank uh more or less than any other character it was just a matter of um i would say feeling like I didn't have to go too far away from what I already felt about certain ideas and certain Mm -hmm. subjects. And so there's no doubt that one of the things that surprised me was that the character of Frank ended up being sort of me playing, I'd say, 50% myself and just reacting to things and reacting to people the way I kind of reacted to it. And Mm -hmm. while kind of putting like a time warp on it as to what, how I looked at life many years ago and stuff like this. And, and that was, uh, was kind of what I did. Well, the, the one thing that shines in this film is the dynamic between the two of you. Every second of this film, yes, we believe you are father and daughter. And the very casual, matter-of-fact way that things just come out of both of your mouths um, especially you, Roxy, is Caitlin. I am in love with. That's kind of you know, my my dad never wanted you know. No, you you walk the line. You don't open your mouth. Me, on the other hand, if it's in the head, it comes out of the mouth. Ben, <laughs> and but and I'm seeing this, and it's number one. It's very refreshing. But to see a father daughter dy- characters with that kind of relationship. Uh, is something that I think we need more of. And you two really show us how to do it on film. Because I suspect this is what you do in life. 
Yeah, I think we actually have a really great dynamic because one, we developed, I feel like at, at any point during a relationship with your parents, you kind of transition between being parent and child and kind of transition to being friends or more along the lines of friends and respecting each other as two humans um, or three humans, whatever. And uh, for us, we were able to have, or uh, we were able to have tough conversations pretty early on in our relationship that I think allowed us to have more respect for one another on set, to mm-hmm. be able to act professionally with one another, to be vulnerable with one another in ways that I think that's, well, I mean, besides the training too, but just in general, yeah, I think we are lucky that we are as close as we are, you know, and I, and yeah. <laughs> because, and I know, Jean, you've been around long enough that, that, as you well know, nepotism has always been an issue on sets. As far back as we can, as we can remember, um, there's always that element where you, all, you always wonder, okay, they got this job because that's their dad. They got this job because it's their mom. That always rears its head. And I don't get the sense that that was the case with this film. I'm, I, listen, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I really am because, uh, there's been, uh, a couple of reviews that, that sort of went into that territory. And I guess because it's the, ter- you know, it's, it's been done before and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is that Roxy earned her place in this movie. Uh, she, as she'll tell you, she, she had to, uh, try out more than any other character. She was one of the last people cast. Uh, although we wrote the part with her in mind, mm-hmm. um, uh, the fact of the matter is when we went, when I was going through casting and we were casting eight hours a day for two weeks to do all these parts and, and great casting director. Uh, and, um, and the bottom line is all the people that came in would try, didn't have the innate um, character that Roxy mm-hmm. presented. And part of that is probably because we wrote it, you know, about with her in mind, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so because of that, that was the way that she got onto this film was I always, I had felt for quite some time beforehand that although Roxy, of course, would have to prove her metal, which she did. And she knew that that's how it was going to go down, that she would have to yeah. prove herself at the same time. I knew inside that she, that if she wanted to, that she was more than capable and had more than enough talent, natural talent and learned talent to, to do this. And so every time I look at this film, I kind of go to myself and go, neener, 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 <laughs> told you she could do it. And the fact is, the fact is, is that I turned to John Delgado, the director, before we started shooting or maybe on the first day of shooting. And I said, you know, Roxy's going to steal this movie. <laughs> and I think it's true. You are too kind, sir. <laughs> no, it is. He's not being kind. He's telling the truth, Roxy, because you do. You are such. Uh, you illuminate the screen. You do steal this movie. And anybody that thinks for a minute that nepotism is how you got this part is not watching your performance because. The proof is in the pudding. You knock it out of the park. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I love your performance. It is so strong. It is so real. Um, 
it is, I look at the character of Caitlin, and I see walls, I see walls coming down, I see truth being spoken, whether people want to hear it or not, but the power that you bring, and, and conversely, when you have to play parent, when Caitlin has to play parent to Frank, especially after throwing up in her car, um, I, I I really hope that no no child ever goes through that with their parent uh, to have to clean up the car after dad's had a little too much. Um, but it is, and the way that you roll your eyes, and it's like, and the next day when Frank is complaining, my God, your car smells, and the look on your face is just the authenticity that comes through there. I could see myself doing the exact same thing. And I just, you are just, there is, I can't envision anybody else in the role of Caitlin other than you having seen you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. That is, it's really wonderful to hear. Um, yeah, it was, and I, and I mean, I don't blame John for not initially liking me, right? I look very girl next door. Um, I, I, look, <laughs> I look like the babysitter. So to like put my face behind Caitlin's personality um, is hard to see. Uh, and so I, it, a huge thank you to, and shout out to John Delgado for taking a huge chance on me. Well, um, you know, but what? yeah, it was also interesting too, like a little snippet. It was so interesting to see that this character is like kind of based off a younger version of myself and go to the casting and see what the casting director thought the character, what essentially oh, I wow. looked like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So many different women. It was so interesting. Well, this is something that your casting director and you did as a producer, Gene, very, very well, is the overall casting. And the fact that we have Roxy, who does, surprise, surprise, she really does look like you, like she belongs to you. Uh, but by the same <laughs> token, you cast Emily Bennett as daughter Sadie. And Mel Harris as Frank's wife, Kathy. And there are some, there's some similarities in the delicacy of some of Mel's features that Emily brings to Sadie. So the casting, it really does look like a family unit with genetic ties. I got to say it. <laughs> uh, you did a, a, a great job. And it's not just the look is there. But the performance is there from everybody. Yeah, I also felt that, um, you know, you bring up, that's, that's always a difficulty when you're trying to put together a family. And in my own family, um, the, um, I, I have a son who is blonde and blue-eyed. And so for me, uh, going with a redhead for Sadie was like, really, an, is like it was irrelevant. Uh, and I also wanted to avoid the obvious type of casting that mm -hmm. would, you know, that is where you feel compelled that they have to look a certain way. It has to match a certain way. And it's like, as far as I'm concerned, no, it doesn't because I've seen plenty of families where I go, uh, did that child come from you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you're and so I make no apologies that they don't look exactly alike or what have you, but I'm glad I've heard, you're not the first person who has said, no, I, I buy this family. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it makes sense. Abs and yes, it made sense to me as well. Yeah, and the strength of the performances of everybody, Gene, especially within this family unit, 
um, is phenomenal. But then we get the extended family and all the trouble that Frank causes for his <laughs> niece. Um, I, I got to tell you, I was rolling, rolling from the <laughs> bridal shower scene through the threatening crying Jang in the living room to a poor, still very drunk Frank, um, that everything in the world is his fault. Um, it, it's just, I could not stop laughing. It is, that, that is so well written, so well crafted, and so well executed. And kudos to John in his direction of those scenes and then in the cutting room. Because the flow is perfect. You really have nice... Yes, Maria Cataldo, the editor, is, is, she's, a, she's a superb editor. And um, she's cut every film I've ever done, short, even original short films. And uh, she, she, she adds an extra level of storytelling to the movie. Uh, because she's got such a keen eye and sense of how to assemble the scene so that the pacing is right and the message is right and you understand it. And she, cre- and she finds these other little hidden things in the layers of the editing that enrich the story, mm-hmm. which is fantastic to watch. Well, and we see that with some very seminal scenes. We have the initial big Frank and Kathy's anniversary scene, and it's already screwed up. This anniversary, this 28th anniversary, it's already a disaster. And, and then we get the huge party scene and Frank getting his cards read by a tarot reader and getting drunk oh, and, drug, and drugged out. And the timing and the pacing between, within those scenes and between those scenes is so key to the flow. And the party scene, uh, the tent scene, I got to tell you, Gene, is phenomenally done. Uh, and, it looks go- and it looks gorgeous on top of it. The visual effects there are absolutely gorgeous. Um, really making use of all the color that comes into play. So that, and it has a lot of metaphor and underlying message attached there as to perhaps the more colorful life that Frank thinks he wants. Um, right. You got it. You got it. But 100 percent that the editing is so crucial in this film, as is John as a director. I'm curious, Gene, what led you to John as a director? His camera work as a second unit cinematographer, camera operator on some, you know, big ticket items. He has an incredible yeah. eye. But this is his first directorial. So I'm curious what led you to John to helm this one. Uh, That's a great question. And um, there's there's one other person besides John who was working a little more behind the scenes that helped allow John to... What we ended up with was kind of the best of both worlds. Um, You know, there are directors who are... Some directors are mainly visual... And some directors are mainly acting directors. Mm-hmm. And the directors that can be the height of both is a rarer co- commodity. And usually you have to pay a heck of a lot more than <laughs> what we all, you know, got paid to do this movie. <laughs> so, um, so what I did was when John came to me at first, it was going to be, I was going to ask him to be DP uh, mm-hmm. on this movie because, and I thought that was going to be extraordinary. Yeah. 
Okay. And, uh, and then, uh, what happened was, um, I sat, he, he, he came into my apartment and he said, we sat for a while and he said, well, actually, uh, how would you feel if, um, I directed this? And I thought for a second and I went, well, John could make a really good visual director. Now, how do we ensure that he doesn't feel any insecurity about the, uh, you know, going after a really high level cast here? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I called up, Someone who I had uh, worked with before, Patrick Lillis, who is a really one of the better actors, directors, especially on stage. And I had worked with him several times and he was one of two or three other actors, directors I knew in New York and he was available. And so what he did is he was brought on as a special consultant. And as a special consultant, though, what would so often happen with him and with John is that John would be feverishly working on getting the right shots and the angles in there. And it would be Patrick and they'd be talking constantly, of course. And then Patrick would be the one that would come on set and just say the few magic words to any of the actors that just gave you what you needed. Mm -hmm. And then he'd leave. And that was it. But he would sort of keep track of that. So I felt like we had the best of both worlds. And I also have to give enormous credit to John to allow this arrangement to be there so that mm-hmm. he would feel uh, like he didn't have to carry the whole load um, in, some, in his first outing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the great strengths that you also have going into this, besides both of you, you've got a veteran like Mel Harris. Um, oh, yeah. And she's, she's, she's been around the block, and she knows good direction from bad direction. She can pick up stuff, you know, doesn't need direction she's got the chops so if you were going to run into any kind of problems you had that strength there on the acting side that could buoy any shortcomings you may have encountered which you definitely did not um you know what led you to bringing in mel she's perfect well it was like i said we put a we put a wide a wide net out and uh forecasting and uh we had a whole bunch of people that uh, you know, would be the proper age and look and stuff like this. And, and we just spread it out and said, you know, who, uh, you know, who, who has had a wonderful uh, uh, career would be interested in um, something like this as something different. And uh, Mel and a couple of others who, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mention their name simply yeah. because I don't have permission from them, but some people that were, you know, they're just the same as Mel, we're basically literally on the first casting day for that character. If the, if the first slot was nine thirty, Mel was there at nine thirty. The second person was there at nine forty-five, and the next person was there at ten. Mm-hmm. And all of them came in and said the same thing. They said, "We love this script. This is a great script." And and then what happened? The funniest part of that is when we did callbacks. And that we spent like a half an hour on each of them. Once again, Mel, it was down to two people. So it was Mel and number two were lined up first thing in the morning. Uh, and, uh, and basically, when, I, when they came in, I would get up. They had seen me in the room before, but they didn't know who I was. And I, came, I would get up and say, okay, so I'm Gene Pope. I'm playing Frank. I'm going to be doing this scene with you. And, of course, Mel turned right around with him. Uh, to me without missing a beat and said, oh, I know who you are already. I checked you out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
my God. And of course she did. Of course. You know, what kind, because as we all know, with low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget films, there are a lot of things that, that get the short shrift, and one of those is rehearsal time. Did you guys have the luxury of any kind of rehearsal time? Uh, because there are, yeah. there's a lot of people involved here with in some of these scenes. I'll let you take that, Rox. Yeah, we, sure, yeah. We, we were so lucky and blessed that we had put time aside within the schedule of filming to rehearse. And it was probably what helped all of us out so mm-hmm. much because a lot of this movie, there's a lot of intimate scenes. And what ends up happening a lot of time on, on film sets is that with your significant other, your romantic partner, you show up the day of, first uh, first day of filming, and it's a breakup scene. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hello, nice to meet you. And so these rehearsals allowed us to have, like, to not only meet one another and to get a little bit more acquainted and comfortable with, like, each other, but to also do the work. So we had Patrick and... Um, anyone, we, we set like certain days to go through certain parts of the script and, mm-hmm. and it was, it was incredible. And we also got to like bond. <laughs> wow. That's a unique concept in a family film. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really curious because Gene, as a writer, writers are often so precious with their words. Uh, and Roxy, I know you have an improv background. So, Jean, how precious were you with the words on the page? And, Roxy, were you allowed any free... Uh-oh. And, Roxy, you, I hear chuckling. Were you allowed any freedom to improv? Um, well, yeah. I'll answer the first uh, question. Yes. I'm not going to answer the second one. But uh, I can tell you that absolutely, uh, without fail, I was uh, absolutely fine with these particular actors... To that if they wanted to deviate, they could deviate. I mean, it, it wasn't deviating because they didn't know the script. They knew the script forward, backwards, and upside down. Uh, but if, if it hit them, uh, they, they, they totally had permission. And, um, for instance, uh, Emma Miles, there was the, uh, the scene that was in her uh, wedding shower. <laughs> and uh, the beginning of that whole scene is her talking about this whole thingamabob of her gifts and all this. And that actually wasn't in the script. She made that up as we went along. And uh, she improved that, and it was so funny, and, and created this character, and, uh, uh, and she, just, she just created it. And, 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 and then Eric Kuhnman, who, who was her, <clears throat> her husband-to-be, um, uh, he he just he is also very good at improv, and he just did it right back with her, and that was extremely spontaneous and had nothing in the script about it. And um, and then I'll let Roxy talk about um, her improv. Yes, what? Let's hear about your improv in front of your dad, Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do want to add though, really quickly for uh, for Emma Miles and her brilliance. Not only did she improvise that whole thing, but that ended up being one of the longest days on set. We had it was like a fourteen hour day. Wow. And she kept that energy high improvising every single take. And I mean all of us were astounded. Wow. But as yeah, it was really incredible. Um as for our improvising, um, 
yeah, I was very lucky where they let me improvise. Um, it was very easy, too, with my dad. Uh, sometimes it would just come out, and I didn't think it would stay in the film. Like, it would be, like a lot of times, as we all know, that some takes don't make it, yeah. and that's totally okay. And so I kept, at the end, would, would be given the freedom to kind of just say an extra line or two. <laughs> Oh, it, the whole thing, it is, it is just, the, the film is just such a great film, guys. It is so much fun. Um, yes, there are moments of sadness, just like with any, within any family, but there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of joy, but there's a lot of growth. And I found that the most surprising element of this film, Gene, is the growth that we see within each person by the film's end. And I really commend you for that. Nobody stagnated. Everybody, there is a future for everybody. And I really yeah. appreciate yeah. that you did that. Well, here's something that, you, that might make you happy, Ben, and that is that uh, we are actively working on part two of this. Oh, Oh, I would love to see a sequel to this <laughs> to find out what trouble I mean, Frank just, gets himself in now. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's like, oh, oh God, you know, poor Caitlin and and Sadie are going to be playing caretaker to Frank. I suspect, you know, Frank's going to get himself in more trouble. If there's a sequel, I can see it now. Frank's going to get himself into more trouble. Um. It's a little bit different. Well, you, might, you might not see him in a Maserati anymore. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Probably not. You know, I have to ask the two of you, what is the magic or the, the joy or the horror of working together on a project? Yeah, do you want to start? Uh, there was no horror. <laughs> It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, I, I personally, I'm just speaking for myself, but I, 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 I have always enjoyed working with Roxy, uh, doing whatever scene it's, it's, it's so much fun working with her because as an actor, you hope that the actor you're working with is in fact you know, listening to you responding and, 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 and for instance, uh, to give you an extreme example, uh, when we drove away in the car uh, uh, in, in a certain part in the movie, um, uh, there was no dialogue written in the script there either. It was mm -hmm. just Roxy and I going at it in the car. And uh, that was some of the most fun <laughs> I had on the whole film uh, because that was actually, that was really a lot of us. It was like, you know, it's the kind of stuff we do all the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so I, I never felt I never felt any negative uh, about it. And what about for you, Roxy? Yeah. What is this joy of working with your dad? It's it. I honestly, it's such a privilege and a joy to work with my dad because not only do I have um, a love for the arts, and that doesn't bring in a lot of income. And for a lot of parents, seeing your kids get into um, a realm where there's not a guaranteed success. So not only having his support, but then being able to work with him seriously on our craft is yeah. something that I never would have guessed 
was a possibility. And it's not a lot of possi- it's not a possibility for a lot of people. And I mm-hmm. feel so lucky to be able to do that. And also, my dad is one of my best friends. So like getting to work with him and like to professionally, but also get to be on set and share that experience with him. That's it's amazing. <laughs> well, I want to see many more things with the two of you together because I love seeing both of you together on screen. Um, it's fabulous in this film. Now that you teased me, there might be a sequel. I have something to look forward <laughs> to. I love that idea. But of course, everybody else can get excited about King of Knives because it's out right now on all the digital platforms. You're on what? Amazon, iTunes. You're on all of them right now. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody can now see uh, the wonder of King of Knives. And I got to tell you, there, there, there's a lot of rapier, rapier moments in this film. So the title fits really well, Gene. Dad? Uh-oh. I'm here. Oh, Dad's Uh-oh, there. I'm here. <laughs> Dad's there. <laughs> No, perfect title. In the signal. Perfect title. King of Knives for all the rapier moments in the film. Absol- <laughs> absolutely well, perfect. It's on the website. There's a description on the website. Came from. And you can go there, kingofknives.com. And is this a slasher flick? Or is it like, no. <laughs> But uh, but it was an unusual time. But uh oh, Gene, you're so. breaking. Gene's breaking up. Yes, the website, folks, is kingofknivesthefilm.com. Just so you know. Now the movie. The, the movie, okay, kingofknivesthemovie.com, and it's a lovely site. I've been on it. It's very nice. Uh, Thank you so much. Well, and unfortunately. That is all the time we have today, guys. I'm so glad th- that you joined me on the show today. This has been vi- a real delight talking to both of you about this film. And I hope I get to talk to you oh, again you. about a sequel. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. This has been so sure. delightful as well. And have a wonderful holiday as father and daughter. Don't kill each other and keep spreading joy on screen for us. <laughs> You too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roxy. Thanks, Jean. (laughs) Bye-bye. And that was Jean Pope, Roxy Pope, talking about King of Knives, which is out right now on all your digital platforms. And The Last Champion is out tomorrow on all your digital platforms. Uh, So... That is, we've gone over again. That is all the time we have today. We only have two more shows this year. Well, yeah, next week is the 14th. Pam's there. Really? Uh, Next week is the 14th. The following week is the 21st. No show the Monday after Christmas. Got to have a break sometime. Um, And on the 21st, mark your calendars because you're going to hear my exclusive interview with Wonderkind uh, writer, director, editor, composer Robert Rodriguez talking about his new film, We Can Be Heroes. 
Uh, I can't wait to talk to you about that one. I just spoke with Robert and some of the stars of the film yesterday. But that is all the time we have today. Next week, Brian Cavallaro is back with us with another film. He was with us a few years ago. He has now made another film. Uh, And Brian will be back with us next week. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 